Yes, you're wrong. The podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. And we're your host, Shelby Matt. Oh, yeah. And for this one, I'll be doing the whole podcast in a very Midwestern accent just because, of, <laughs> uh, you know, the movie. Because we're from Michigan. This is my <laughs> colleague, Kate DiBiaschi. She was looking up at the stars and found a, a, found a meteorite. It's coming for the planet. I don't think they sounded like that. Um, How dare you? <laughs> I mean, maybe they should have, but I did not get that vibe. Basically, they should have my accent because that's exactly where I'm from. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Michigan State. You have a sweater. Yeah, yeah. That's like, right. They work and live in Lansing, which is where I grew up. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Which we will, I have a whole lot of notes regarding that plot point, so we will get Is that a plot point, Lansing? Yeah, it's cl- cl- whatever, Shelby. <laughs> Anyways, we're back up from the holiday break. How were your holidays? How was Christmas? How was New Year's? What did you get up to? Uh, it was good. It was it was stressful. I we had to like chase down COVID tests here in Texas before we could travel, and we were nervous we wouldn't be able to or we shouldn't, and because not because of us, because we're boosted, but because our baby who isn't vaccinated, but. We ultimately Pam's managed to just find... doing her own research. She's <laughs> yeah. sorting out her options. She's worried because Nikki yes, Minaj's cousin's friend had yeah. swollen testicles. Nobody's perfect. I know. We're trying to let her be her own person. Um, but yeah, it ended up being like so hard to find tests here. I don't... <laughs> I had to go to like an emergency room department because she was getting a cough too, but it turned out she just had some casual other viruses. So (laughs) congrats to her. It made traveling pretty stressful. She didn't want to sleep and our holiday was pretty rough, but ultimately fun. And um, I mean, good to see people. Yeah. (laughs) Good to see people have someone else to put the baby on and um you know, yeah, it was it was good. I can't believe it's 2022. I can't believe we're going into year three of this uh, hellhole of COVID mania. But um, oh, I thought you were going to say the podcast. I'm like, I think we're in year four, Shelby. Of oh, the yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> no, we're long past that. Uh, no, we're here and uh, I'm happy for it. But how was your New York, New York bound Christmas slash holiday was- break? It was weird because I was going to go back to Michigan to visit my grandparents for Christmas, but they're both over 80. So we sort of, as cases were spiking here, like a couple weeks before Christmas, I talked to them on the phone and it was sort of like, there's, there was no good way for me to like, even, even with testing and whatnot, like, because I'd have to go take public transit to the airport and then fly and what, just like the risks weren't. There were too many risks. So I decided not to go. I decided to stay here. Turned out that I did get COVID while I was here. Although it was just, uh, I mean, it's just a runny nose. Because I'm, you know, yeah, also triple vaccinated. Wait, you did get COVID? Yes. You didn't tell me that. I thought, I thought I'd forgotten it. You got it like two years ago or something. 
No, I got. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: is that Matthew in, in the most classic, you went to New Year's Eve party? <laughs> well, here, no, uh, Shelby, you're missing the point. Okay, here's okay, the thing. okay, 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 okay. So I, in in like a very stupid me fashion, <laughs> I was I started to get um a cold like two weeks before Christmas, and I was like, oh, you know, it's just like it's just a runny nose. I've had the, you know, I have this like fairly regularly. It's my usual like cold symptoms. I feel like I get it like I don't know maybe like three times a year, and prior to Omicron, the main symptoms of COVID were not like a runny nose. You know, it was a whole bunch of right. other things, and I've had colds you know, throughout this COVID process where I've gone and got tested and it wasn't COVID because, you know, it's just a runny nose, whatever. So I got this runny nose, didn't really think anything of it. I knew that COVID cases were going up and that Omicron was around, but I was like, this isn't Omicron because it's a runny nose. So then it wasn't until like a week in to this cold that I started seeing these infographics on Instagram that were like, the main symptom of Omicron is a runny nose. (laughs) And I was like, oh, shit i might have this and have been like i mean i wasn't thankfully doing too much during this time period because i was busy with work but i was like i definitely haven't been quarantining so at this point i go and get tested but because everyone and their mother is getting tested in new york it took four days for me to get the pcr result back so by the time i got the test result back i had already passed the 10-day window that i was supposed to quarantine for so i was like really screwed the pooch on this one i don't think that i gave it to anybody that I'm so, so, aware so, of, wait, wait, wait. You got a runny nose, you took a test, and then you kept going out with people, waiting no. the four days for the result. No, 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 no. Once I st- once I took the test, I stopped. Okay, okay, okay. Um, that but it was like that was I don't know maybe that was like the weekend prior to Christmas, I think, right? Or or like the week prior to Christmas that I found out. Like, yeah. But anyways, so it was like by the time I had got the results that said like, oh yes, you did have COVID. It was I was like past the point of having right. to quarantine at all because <laughs> I had spent the first half of that time being like, well, this is just a cold, obviously, duh. Amazing. <laughs> so, yes, apologies to everyone and, and and anybody who may have gotten this because of me because... Honestly, did you tell people? Did you tell Rory? Well, I didn't tell people <laughs> that I had COVID because, well, like, I didn't tell people when I had it because I didn't, I didn't know I had it. Yeah, but after you had it, did you tell the people that you had seen within those 10 days? Yes, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see Rory in those 10 days. I didn't see Rory until after the fact that I had COVID. (laughs) But yes. Yeah, no. I mean, the CDC guidelines are a joke and a half. Well, right. And now it's only five days. So I. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's always been confusing about, you know how long do symptoms last after you're contagious? Like blah, 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 blah. So like, who knows? But you know what? I, I admire your confidence in continuing your life after those 10 days. You know, you really made the most of your New Year's and now it's even funnier to me. <laughs> well, by the time New Year's came around, I had been, I mean, it had been like, I don't know, 17 days or right, something like right. that since the first thing. Yeah, you so, can't live in fear. Right. Also, here's the thing. It's New York City. So like 90 some percent of the people are fully vaccinated. And at a and like at the 
gay New Year's party I was at, you had to be vaccinated in order to get in, whatever. Mm-hmm. All of the mm-hmm. plus mm-hmm. literally all those people already had COVID or had COVID at that moment. The <laughs> the gays the gays in New York will be done with COVID by uh January 14th. Every single one will have had it. Um, you so, guys account for the twenty two percent of New Yorkers that are testing positive. Yes, COVID. yeah. Well, I, I don't I feel like okay, so <laughs> In if you are vaccinated, <laughs> you know anywhere, the threat of this is not like particularly dire. Like you can, you will. It's easy to get it even if you're vaccinated. But most people who get it don't have very many symptoms, or they're you know, it's like very mild in most cases. Mm-hmm. So I think most people who are vaccinated aren't particularly nervous about getting it. The people right. who are at risk are the people who are not vaccinated. Um, So it's like, obviously I don't want to give it to those people, but I think in New York right now, just because of how many people there are and how like lax the regulations were in, you know, for like in November and December, basically it's like everybody has either had it or has it or is going to be getting it in like the next (laughs) week or so, just because there's so many people here and you can't, avoid it and so many people have it so it's like sort of working its way through the system mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so for whatever reason this I feel like, from the cdc representative matthew Hub. <laughs> i feel like the mentality in new york as of now is like okay well just let me get it and then i can move on with it oh shoot which is not I a think good a mentality few doctors disagree with that but... oh, well, <laughs> well, i mean is that the correct mentality i'm not sure no but also I think that is the general thought process. However, that's again in New York where most people are vaccinated. I think it's going to look much worse when it gets to areas of the country where large percentages of the population aren't vaccinated because this is super freaking contagious. Like everybody got it in two seconds. So once it gets to places where people aren't vaccinated and people do get sick and do have to go to the hospital, that's going to be miserable, I think. Yeah. Well, it's happening. And... Yeah, it's not it's not great, not fun, not good. No. Um I'm still shocked you had it. You didn't even make an Instagram post about it. Like well, who because, are you? I feel well, like you should you would brag about it slightly. Right. Well, yeah, if I had known, but I was like <laughs> after fa- like it's it's less fun to brag about when you're like, "Hey, I had COVID for the past 2 weeks." And then everyone's like, "But wait, let's go back and look at what you were doing in those 2 weeks time." oh iconic oh happy it was happy it was okay for you and happy you survived it yeah came into 2022 swinging so right exactly (laughs) done with triple vaccinated and uh naturally immune at this point i've got like another three months before i can get whatever the next variant is yeah (laughs) and you're ready um wow yeah no that's great i think um Sorry, I'm still just <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm sorry that you got it, but happy it wasn't bad. Um, but I think another way people were passing the time was watching Don't Look Up, which you saw before everyone because you're a fancy little uh film critic who gets to go to premieres and stuff, correct? Yes. Well, because as people know, I've been working on, I've been working at BuzzFeed, but I, I have really enjoyed doing the like complete filmography rankings, yes. which I did for Anne Hathaway and Emma Stone. Um, 
But so I pitched my editor on doing a Leo one for this movie. And he was sort of like, yes, I think that's a good idea. But we weren't really sure how much screen time Leo had in this because it was this big ensemble movie. (laughs) And so he was like, you know, like if the movie's really bad and Leo is barely in it, it sort of doesn't really make sense to to do this Mm, around that. So I followed up with the Netflix PR people and was like, hey, I want to do this big list. I want to, you know, anchor it around this movie, but I need to see the movie first. So they invited me to the, like, one of the New York, um, like, premiere (gasps) guild screenings, which was very fancy. Leo was there. Meryl Streep was there. Jonah Hill was there. They did, like, a question and answer thing afterwards. Jennifer Lawrence was supposed to be there, but she's very, very pregnant, so she had to, like, call out at the last minute. But I felt very fancy because I roll up to the theater, and I'm meeting my friend Jordan there, who is my plus one, and there's this long line that's, like, going all the way around the block, and Jordan's like oh my gosh the line is so long I was like Jordan we don't have to wait in this line this line is for <laughs> the riffraff this is not for us oh my so I gosh like, so I'm what like, a dream so I'm like I'm like get out of the line come up to the front so I so I'm at the front and I'm like hi I'm here from BuzzFeed they're like oh yes like follow me so this woman like takes us in there's like two rows in the middle of the theater that are completely blocked off and reserved and she's like you can take any of these seats that you want and I was like oh thank you so wow. I truly had like <laughs> ideal seating for this got to see Meryl and Leo and Jonah like all up close and personal it was very fun um it was it's probably my most glitzy yeah what an like, event. film experience to date Oh my gosh, even meeting Taylor Swift, I had to stand in line, you know, like that's just such an honor to just pass a line. Oh, I have chills just thinking of it. I mean, just just wait until Taylor is in whatever the next movie she's in <laughs> and then I'll try to get us something. Yes, I'll be flying out there and be like, um, Matt? Uh, plus one thank you <laughs> yeah you'll just you'll just have to loiter around town on the off chance i do get <laughs> yeah. invited to something i'll keep my ears to the ground see what okay. dates line up the numerical signs in the sky when taylor's gonna be dropping something next i guess she is in that another another ensemble movie that's coming out with that guy no one likes what is that? oh yes the um the 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 guy who does all the jennifer lawrence movies yeah i, I wanted to say mckay but that's not it it's um, no it's um fincher no no mm, no david uh, Dude, david o russell o russell <laughs> okay well i'll is see she, if it's worth she, it is she actually like in that or is she just well that's that's the question that will get you access to the tickets that's what we've learned from this is it's an ensemble movie so email them to be like i have to see if this is worth writing about and they'll be like oh here you go ticket ticket row five okay you're there so the so, in, I think, is not trying to go from the Taylor <laughs> Swift angle. It's going for the whoever else is in this movie. Okay, okay. Let's we'll just game this out immediately. What? I'm like, what is this called? I don't oh, remember. Oh, untitled film. Re- yeah. Okay, it's released November 4th next year, so get ready for that. Okay, perfect. Oh, yeah. Margot Robbie's in it, and, our, and I already did a list on her, so I could do an update. We have... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I could do a Christian Bale list. He's in this. Oh, interesting. This bit, uh, oh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Love there her. There you go. Michael wow, Shannon. What a Mike Myers. Robert De Niro. Zoe Zaldana. This is the most <laughs> random hodgepodge of a list I've ever seen. Well, that's what people said about Don't Look Up, which was sort of announced earlier 
in 2021, but kind of came out of nowhere. And it was just like everyone famous was in this, which people were like, oh, it's a Adam McKay. Is that his full name? Is that, is that his is yes. that the right pairing? Adam McKay, you know, he did the big short. So people were like, well, maybe there'll be like cameos like that. Um, so people were unsure exactly how it would look to the point of view getting <laughs> tickets to the freaking guild screening, whatever mm-hmm. that is. I'm like, mm-hmm. Congratulations. Um, I mean, wasn't it obvious Leo was kind of the lead though? Yes, but I think especially <laughs> after the French dispatch earlier this year, because I had mm. basically pitched a similar type article uh, around Timothy Chalamet for the mm. French dispatch. Mm. And okay. my editor was kind of like, 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 how much time do any of these people have? And then it turned out really everybody gets like five minutes and that's right. it. So I wasn't sure how much time leo would have but it turned out that he was it's like a lot of them have sort of more cameo-ish minor roles but leo and jennifer lawrence are like the lead leads yeah yeah so for anyone uh sleeping under a rock uh this movie is about a meteor headed towards earth and two scientists trying to warn the planet about it and the u.s kind of not really taking it seriously and uh handling it poorly it's meant to be sort it's meant to be an attack on sort of our current political climate or social political climate uh the idea of how we're handling climate change itself and what I was reading about is that he wanted to do it. It was like a COVID created movie, right? Like it was just an idea he had during COVID. Is that correct? I think that he'd been wanting to do something like this for a while, but then, or like a movie about climate change for a while, but then sort of put the pieces together of it all during COVID. If yeah. my understanding is correct. Cause Adam McKay is like a comedy director normally like him most of his yeah. career is like the other guys um like adam or will ferrell sort of like comedies and then he did a pivot with the big short into more of like a political satire kind of thing which the big short did really well obviously and it did well at the oscars it got a lot of nominations i think it also critics really liked it and so he's gone back to this well now twice more once with (laughs) vice which i think did less well and critics liked less and then now with this movie and vice and the big short are obviously uh like movies about historical events this is completely fictionalized but it is very much yeah a satire of the current political state the current state of media and just how everybody is handling um climate change and i think covid as well and and looking at especially scathingly at the more like conservative side of media and politics and how they're handling things but also makes fun of liberal like people yeah see i feel like yeah i feel like it was a pretty even punch at you know both sides of them and how how there's a way we uh talk about issues without actually ever focusing on the issues and it's much more a he said she said pointing the fingers like mocking the other side for how they're reacting to something but you're never actually addressing the thing that they're addressing and so i i thought it was interesting i had sort of um middling expectations i guess i thought it seemed like 
a big cast, big personalities. I kind of didn't see, you know, the trailer made it seem kind of over the top. And I wasn't necessarily thinking it'd be great, but I was like, oh, it'll probably be fun. And I <laughs> I actually really liked it. <laughs> and I felt like I was disconnected from social media in a big way during the break. So I was just enjoyed it in my own bubble. And then as I came out and we talked about doing this episode, I was reading reviews and realizing that it was a much more controversial film than I ever thought it would be. <laughs> and most people did not, in fact, enjoy it. I think that I think that is not necessarily true. I think that (laughs) I, so I also like, I mean, I saw it before reviews and stuff were out. So, uh, you know, when I left the theater thinking, oh, I think this was funny. Like, was it like, I think that there are some issues to it, which we can get into, I think, especially with like the audience for the movie. Um, And like, it's a little heavy handed in satire at points, but I generally thought it was fun and entertaining. Um, And then all of the critic reactions came out and I think everybody sort of hated it. And I could see that point of view because, I mean, I did not like Vice. I think that there's a lot of sort of similar comparisons and I could see why, especially like film journalists aren't predisposed to like this kind of movie it's a little like to beat you over the head with things at some points it's not very <laughs> nuanced and i feel like film critics in general like things that are like more new like more quiet than sort of loud but i feel like every single person i know has watched this movie in the past two weeks like everybody is talking about it even people i know who don't normally watch movies and for the most part, I feel like they've liked it. I've seen so many people on social media saying, like, not critics, but just, like, people that I know posting about it and being, like, 10 out of 10, best movie oh, I've really? ever seen. Like, so funny, so witty, like, so smart. Like, and and interesting, too, because I think, like you, I grew up in a more Republican sort of space. And so I'm getting reactions from both groups of people and a lot of people who I know who are more conservative liked it and so did people who are more liberal so it's interesting that I think this movie is doing as well as it is because also I like it's funny but it didn't strike me while I was watching it as a particularly like crowd pleasery movie or a movie that a lot of people like on Netflix would just decide to watch especially because it's kind of long um Yes, yeah, so yeah. I've been like surprised by all of the reactions I feel like to it. I thought it was yeah. much more. I thought it would be like a sort of eh, and everyone would forget about it and no <laughs> one would really watch it. And critics would be like, ah, eh, it was okay. And that would be the end of it. But the yeah. fact that everyone has watched it, critics hated it, and audiences are raving is interesting. I mean, audiences aren't raving. Like, I feel like it's split down the middle. Like, even Rotten Tomatoes says, like, it's a 57% critic score and a 50% audience score. So it's not, like, the greatest showman where it's, like, 30% critics and 90% audience. <laughs> like, I feel like it's struggled to kind of find a general audience. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely people who liked it. And that's why no, the uh, the audience score currently on my computer is 78%. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. I must have looked at it at a weird time. Well, that's cool. Yeah, because I think, like, a lot of the critics are also now criticizing the response to the criticism. <laughs> I think I started looking at reviews too late because now there's, like, reviews of the reviews where people are like, 
I guess because Adam McKay and a lot of the filmmakers were like liking tweets and it became sort of this meta discussion about like, oh, you make a film about how you you don't trust the experts, but now you're not trusting you now you're downplaying like what critics can say. Like it's I don't know. It's just because it's sort of interesting push and pull about why someone doesn't like it and if they're justified in that or you know, because some people are like, oh, if you don't like this movie, then you're part of the problem type thing. And I don't think that's true because I think, to your point, there were like film issues or things that could have been polished or or whatever. I didn't mind the like the knock you over the head lack of subtlety to it. I thought that was frankly kind of the fun and charm and humor. But I do think it could have been it could have been cleaned up short. A lot of people said it could have been tightened, shortened, you know, cut down to an hour and a half or something instead of the two, two hour 10 or whatever it's at. And I can see that like there was a lot of sort of self-congratulatory feeling indulgence in some of these jokes and moments. Um, but ultimately I really, I really appreciated the over, over the top satire and kind of, uh, straightforwardness with which it confronted its own hubris so i also think that because uh, the film sort of skewers the media at various points yeah. that then people in the media didn't like it as much or, i mean whether or not that's the reason then people were calling them out later of being like well the right. only reason you don't like this movie is because it's calling out you right and i do think to a certain extent like Yes, journalists like movies about journalists who are doing a good oh, job. Yeah. You know, it's like they love a, I, I mean, me included, like love a spotlight, love the post, right. but don't necessarily, yeah, like movies where they're like, oh, the press is bad or critics are bad. You're like, mm, well, you just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, there's a lot of, and I think it's interesting too to like see that discourse because it's like, climate scientists on Twitter are like, oh my gosh, this is exactly how I feel. Like no one is listening to me. I feel like I'm just screaming into a void and no one is talking to me. They're just picking up clickbaity headlines, tweeting memes. Like it's like, you can sense that frustration on that side. But then other people are like, there's actually work being done and there's actually people who are doing this. And this is a global issue. So like the narrow lens at US at the US politics of it is kind of frustrating and it and it downplays what's actually being done behind the scenes to try and mitigate the climate disaster and stuff like that. And I think it's interesting, but I also I'm a big disaster flick lover. I'm a big <laughs> like anything across the board day after tomorrow like San Andreas, anything to do with uh you know, meteors, climate change whatever it is that leads to a tidal wave or you know Snowden issue I'm all here for it and I think this movie actually did a really good job of of feeling like realistic while also being laugh out loud funny yeah it was very I think it did a good job of that too of being funny but also being very serious and sort of terrifying at the same time because yeah. the basic idea is yeah these two scientists played by Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio 
discover that there's this meteor that's headed toward Earth and they have like several months until it's going to hit. Like enough time to theoretically do something about this meteorite. And so they sort of are instantly like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like everyone is going to think this is crazy. We're going to be able to solve this. Like we just need to tell the president, blah, blah, blah. So they get in touch with people and get sent to the White House to brief the president on this. And the president and her, who is played by Meryl Streep and her team are sort of downplay it. They're distracted about upcoming elections. They, I think in a lot of ways, Meryl Streep is playing a version of Donald Trump. So uh, he's just like, or she's just not taking it seriously. And so then Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence have to try to figure out like, okay, well, how are we going to get this message across? We're going to go on the news. We're going to, you know, try to work with other governments. And so they start running through this list of things, of ways to try to uh, sort of, get something going to get rid of this meteorite and then as the film continues you get the white house is also sort of involved in in trying to get rid of it but for their own separate agendas and there's these different sort of factions that um, are going against each other to the point where like with covid you get to and i think with global warming you, you get these two split factions of like people who are denying that the meteorite is coming and people who are getting more and more exasperated because they think that the meteor is coming and that nobody is listening to them. And then you get like Hollywood and press and everybody else involved as with COVID um, until it gets to the final like sort of resolution. But it's um yeah, it's very entertaining along the way even as it's frustrating in all of these different sectors oh yeah it just like destroyed me emotionally (laughs) but i appreciated that there is something to laugh at in the absurdity even as it like even as it chugged along to a truly like disturbingly sad close to home sort of end and i think that was like i I don't know it, it felt realistic which is funny in the sense that it's meant to be this huge like over the top absurdist satire sort of thing but like I said you watch something like day after tomorrow and the science isn't real it's just like nonsense and you're just like you know you're you're just watching it for to watch a disaster flick whereas this it was like (laughs) oh this all rings a little bit true right now (laughs) guess we'll just like watch it play out isn't this frustrating well and I think that Obviously, this is a movie that I think started as a satire on climate change, which is why Leo is in this movie, because his biggest issue is climate change. He's always talking about it. He's done documentaries about it. When he is in movies and he goes on press tours, that's what he wants to spend most of his time talking about. Like, it is an issue that is very, very near and dear to his heart. And Leo doesn't do a ton of movies these days. And mostly it's with the same, like, handful of directors who he knows and likes working with. So to sort of go outside of that comfort zone and be in this I think was unusual and specifically because it's a movie about climate change in a lot of ways but I think either through dumb luck or purpose or whatever the COVID angle of it is perhaps even more timely or realistic to this in that you have all of these people sort of like anti-vaxxers anti-maskers who are you know going along as if COVID does not exist meanwhile there's all of these other group of people who are getting frustrated because obviously thousands of people are dying 
every day because of this. And I think that the COVID angle for me was like hitting more Hmm. than the global warming angle just because it's closer. It's not like as remote. Like obviously global warming is happening. It's like around us, but but it still feels – it's not like here. I mean it (laughs) is obviously here, but you know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I also think that's pretty funny because it becomes sort of a meta commentary on the exact commentary they're trying to make where – it's like, oh, you don't see it, so you're not thinking about it because it's like, oh, well, like, you, you know, that's that's a future problem, but actually is a current problem. Right. Oh, well, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I think like right off the bat, they were just like, like, I didn't get, I think the, uh, everyone did really good in this. I really enjoyed everyone. I think there was a lot of fun being had with these people who got to play these outlandish characters such as Meryl Streep as the president. And it didn't feel so much like a Trump parody. It felt more like a, wow, this is where our politics are parody because it was just so, yeah, I mean, she was so focused on numbers, appearances. Meanwhile, she was trying to get like, (laughs) it, it was just like over the top, but it was so close to home that everything just felt like one degree off and it, and it allowed you that space to laugh about it instead of just immediately hating and crying and, and ranting and raving and feeling so such despair at all times. Um, but it's kind of hard to talk about the movie because so much of it, so much of its charm for me was one, the like zingers and the characters and the yassification of, of, um, Oh, dang it. What's her name? Why am I so tired all the time? Um, the beautiful love interest uh, oh, TV um, host. Oh, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. <laughs> and um, I think everyone was just like doing a great job of being the worst version of themselves that they could be. That the like most normal characters, i.e. these, you know, Michigan State uh, <laughs> experts were just like, what is happening here? Like, why is this so hard to get this point across when it's like the facts are there, but no one wants to care about the facts because it's like, that doesn't, I don't know. It was just like really enjoyable to me because it felt like some, it felt like I was seen finally because it captured my frustration with watching people talk about things without actually talking about them. Yes. Yes. Like everything uh, Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry were saying, it's like, yes, you have a lot of great uh, newscasters, media hosts, whatever it is. But you also have a lot of people who, even when they're trying their best, are like, oh, well, we've got to angle this as a as a positive soundbite. We got to get our you know sponsors in. We got to make sure it's palatable to the masses. And there's like charm and and uh, and concern about uh, wit and. <laughs> I think it was just like a very playful but ferocious attack on our current issues. Well, you can see how when there's such a global issue, but yet everyone is still focused at the end of the day on themselves. They're like, yes, yeah. this, like, yes, we need to address this in the long term. But in the short term, I have to focus on the numbers for my TV show. And I have to focus on will I get reelected next uh 
you know, uh, campaign cycle. And Leo and J-Law are like, you won't have that option because the world (laughs) is going to end. But it, but I do think that, yeah, that's a general sort of concern, even, you know, with like recycling and whatnot of like, okay, well, yes, like I want to recycle, but also like, you know, like drinking, I I don't want my teeth to get brown, so I'm going to use a straw anyways, or whatever, you know, that kind of right. thing. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that one of the, th- the fun things about this movie was that the cast in general was not a cast. Jonah Hill, I think, outside of this, all of the people who got to play these big, like, crazy outlandish roles are more dramatic actors. So it was yeah. fun to get to see them as people who are very good at what they do get to play these sort of, like, bonkers off-the-wall roles with Kate Blanchett, with Meryl Streep, with Timothy Chalamet, with Mark Rylance, where they're getting to do stuff that's not normally in their wheelhouse. And even Leo, I think, has that giant scene where he gets to sort of blow up at the uh, news yeah casters which is a lot of fun and not really in the vein of things that he does often so it was exciting to see so many kind of different performances it's interesting because jennifer lawrence is obviously i would say probably like the second build lead in the movie but she is so much like the straight person or so yeah. much of like of of the voice of reason even though she's exasperated and sort of like screaming at the world she is like our point of view as people watching i think and so i feel like her performance for as good as it is sort of has like faded to the background it didn't get nearly as much attention even though she's an incredible actress and i think is doing a really good job in this yeah i mean let's kind of talk about the different groupings because you do have the like president and her chief of staff which is also her son jonah hill and um they have a lot of good you know pretentious lines in there he jonah hill decides he does not like uh j-law's character and continues to (laughs) annoy and ruin her life um but he's also i i just found all the little details so charming and funny but was there a bit with them that you liked especially i mean i guess they're the ones who brought up the ivy leaguers and the need to to look outside Michigan State. Is that where you want to talk about Lansing or Well yes, I did I did <laughs> think that that line was funny where they're like, well, can we get someone like an Ivy League person in on this? <laughs> like like we need some more clout. Like no one's yeah. gonna believe anybody from Michigan State. <laughs> no, the thing with the Michigan State that I was gonna say is I think okay. that Leo and Leo does a good job with his accent. Um it felt very realistic to me. I immediately clocked that this was not filmed in Lansing. I was like, <laughs> this, I was like, this is not Lansing. At one point, she's supposedly jogging across the Michigan State campus when she gets arrested. I was like, nope, this is not, I've never seen this location <laughs> in my life. This is not on the Michigan State campus. Lies. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out the whole thing, I think, was filmed near Boston. So it honestly could have been an Ivy League campus that she was running across. <laughs> I did also like the very obvious placement of like Michigan State paraphernalia. And it's like a mug, a sweatshirt a hat that they're wearing that have Michigan State logos on them. You're such a uh, snob. Just to like sort of signify, uh, okay, yes. This, yes, this that's how you do it in movies. What do you want but them I'm, to do? Well, but I'm also like, I wonder how they picked Michigan State of all mm, of the colleges. Interesting. Maybe and they do have a really like, good astronomy program. Well, they do have a planetarium, I will say, which mm. as a kid, we would go to probably every year on a school field trip. 
So I don't know if they have like a good astronomy department at all, but they do have a planetarium, which is kind of cool there. Uh, the I think that they probably just wanted the accent. That's how I feel. I think they wanted <laughs> them to sort of have like a folksy kind of accent. And right. were like, but I think Southern conveys something different. So I think they were like, okay, if we're going to sort of get like the nice people accent, we have to go with either like <laughs> Michigan or Wisconsin. So and that Michigan, makes sense. And on the other thing that's interesting is a lot of people, for whatever reason, from the East Coast will go to schools in the mid- colleges in the Midwest for college because they sort of like want to get away from the East Coast. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, like, let me go to a like a state school, but also a well-respected state school in the Midwest. So they'll go to like Minnesota or Michigan or Wisconsin. No one is going to Michigan State from like, it's just like not a prestigious enough school. It's sort of like the major degrees they have are like agricultural, are packaging. It's just much more, um, it, it's sort of like more in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's more kind of like just like down to earth people. So I thought that was also interesting that they picked Michigan State mm. over something like U of M where theoretically you would have more prestigious connections. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, yeah, they just wanted to lose their college to kind of emphasize how little they trusted this degree from the get-go. Um, how did you feel about the... Uh, Ryland's like tech head, not a businessman, but also a businessman uh, character. Oh, yeah. So that plot line is he's sort of like a Elon Musk-esque type of sort of figure. More like Mark Zuckerberg with his awkwardness, right? (laughs) Yes, but it's like he's very interested in space and these, um, you know, like rockets that are going to be sent up in the air and how how exactly does he sort of get involved in it? Because he's a big Meryl's donor for right. the president. And, and so, so he Meryl... has an inside line, like literally like a VIP roped off <laughs> section to talk to her whenever he wants. But they there's an alternative plan for yes. how they're going to get rid of the meteorite. And then somehow or another, he sort of like comes on and takes it over with his missiles that end up all malfunctioning and it doesn't work yeah they're gonna nuke the meteorite which seems like every scientist in the world agrees will work they have an army of nukes that they set up but then suddenly he's like oh yeah madam president i need to talk to you because there's like oil or something that's on yeah so he stops it he wants and he realizes that there's a you know trillions of dollars of my minerals on there that help build his phones and so he wants to he wants the chance to wait to the last minute to go up and kind of do an armageddon style break up the meteorite into pieces that would harmlessly fall onto the planet and thus they can they can harvest them and i frankly i really like that angle i thought that was a really realistic criticism of our capitalism or our blind greed this idea that they can be like pat themselves on the back is like oh well this is the way to give jobs and like in world hunger is if we can get our hands on this (laughs) trillion dollar rock without really recognizing what they're asking and, and having no actual plan for how that would end world hunger it would just put more money in their pockets but i do think this is where the movie slowed down a lot in the second half is because it becomes obsessed with um, sort of the PR strategy for getting people to get behind this plan. And that's when Jennifer Lawrence and uh, 
and Leonardo DiCaprio's character split up because J-Law's like, this isn't going to work and you know it. And he's like, oh, well, we have to be optimistic. Like, let's try. And so she's like, I'm out of here. And he becomes sort of the face of the thing. He starts an affair with Kate Blanchett. He, he's riding high on this fame and popularity and, and wealth and desirability and whatever else. Which is all well, things I liked, but it just like there were there was a lot happening with Rylance that slowed it down. I felt like I because th- they were going for the I think the two ways that one reacts to this kind of issue, which is you either end up sort of getting sucked into the bureaucratic politics of it. And, you know, you're not like necessarily Obama, but more of that kind of a figure where it's like you go in with all of these grand visions and then sort of have to give up things until you eventually like get assimilated into the system, which is what Leo's character is doing. Or you become like bitter and an outcaster and you end up like living in a bunker by yourself in Montana, (laughs) which is more of the direction of the Jennifer Lawrence character. Yeah. So I I thought I liked that um like conceptually. I think part of the issue is the beginning is moving at a like a sort of normal pace and you're really just following this one group of people and it reminded me I don't know if it's because it was the Jennifer Lawrence thing or what but the second half sort of reminded me of the movie Mother that she's in where (laughs) it all of a sudden goes from being about like one small group of people to being about the entire global population so there's just so many things going on in the back half that aren't really about the characters that are much more just about like the satire of uh, of like the state of the world. Yeah. And so that's when you get the Ariana Grande character is singing this song about it. <laughs> and we're just cutting back and forth between all of these different characters yeah. who are doing these cameos and all of these different things. And so it does slow it down, but it also just makes it feel like it, like it's, it's so much and it stops being a film about people and starts being a film that's like just a satire of ideas. So I can see why critics especially were upset about the back half of the movie because it's sort of like, okay, we start losing the story and start, it's just kind of like a bunch of press clippings of satire things yeah, and not really about characters. I think that he does an okay job of bringing it back to characters in those final moments with like Leo yeah. and his family and Jennifer Lawrence. But it there is that section in like the middle back that's kind of like, okay. And we have, yeah, all the Mark Rylance stuff and they're figuring out these missiles and Leo's having an affair with Kate Blanchett. That's like, why do we really need this? Um, yeah. Also, I think my least favorite part of the movie was the Timothy Chalamet character who's <laughs> sort of this like wayward person that Jennifer Lawrence ends up having an affair with. And I'm, well, not I'm just like, it's like, well, a, yeah. I okay. Mean, I guess they're a having love a affair, relationship. Guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But they're like, because they're not dating. Well, yeah, yeah. she's dating um, what's-his-face in the beginning, but then they break up. Yeah. But anywho, yeah, I felt like their relationship, I was like, we don't really need this. and It's not really doing anything for me. I don't think that Timothy was great. And yeah, I was kind of like, okay, next. See, that's what's interesting with the ending. I feel like people are, are split about it, where some people think it got too serious and some people were like, this tonal changes too much. But I felt like... It worked out like 
Because, I mean, spoilers, I guess, but obviously the meteor hits the earth. Like the plan to to mine the meteor does not go well. And the final twist is that these billionaires have built this secret rocket and a bunch of them are escaping. But instead of joining them, Leonardo DiCaprio decides the best way to spend his final night is to go back to his wife, to go back to his children. And Jennifer Lawrence goes along with Timothy Chalamet and their other cohort in the whole thing. And they have this family dinner where they just talk about normal things. And it's intercut with this like, with everything going wrong with the meteor and the billionaires escaping. And yet at the heart of it, it's just this I don't know, this family having this dinner and it made me really emo. And yes, I did cry. Okay. I don't know. It just like, it was, I thought it was like a really moving detail to include to kind of show like that. Yes, this is a parody of satire, like whatever, but also it's really, really sad. Like the future, what the future could be. And all that we have is like, what we care about and if we're not going to like come together to care about this one thing then we're just going to be like stuck in these homes like dying with each other and and there's this line Leonardo DiCaprio says where he's like isn't it amazing like we we had everything and I just I think that really stuck with me it was one that was sort of ad-libbed by him they they wrestled with whether or not to keep it because they felt like it was too serious but I think it helped kind of recenter the film after it kind of got way out there with this idea of I don't know knowing how you'll die and the <laughs> the mining of this rock and all of that and it just was like oh man this is sad if we don't like start to like recognize and trust science and like an act it's just like so sad oh well and I think that is why I felt more attached to this as a COVID satire than a global warming satire is because the, the like global warming is, is obviously here. <laughs> it's getting worse. It's coming like, and that is something that we have to address, but it's also something that like, theoretically we have some time left, mm. even if that is like diminishing <laughs> where I'm like with COVID we have like, it is happening in real time. Like the people are dying of COVID like now and have been for the last years. It's not, it's not like, um, it's not like, Oh, you know, the, uh, like half the, half the world is now underwater and we're still ignoring it. It, I mean like, that's what it is like with COVID. It's like, it's here. People are, um, like people are actively dying of it like daily and there's still all of these people who are denying it, which to me uh, sort of, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like I can, it made me think then about global warming differently as okay. There are going to be a large group of people who just like never agree with this, never decide to get on board. So like, what is the best way for the rest of us to like, figure this out without them being involved because it's like they're not going to be if that makes sense yeah I mean I guess alternatively like sure there's COVID deniers but they're not necessarily the ones in power like the CDC is still working hard like there's still people developing vaccines like the science is still working hard to make sure that right. as few people die as possible and like all the tools are currently there I mean of course some of them are tied up in bureaucratic tape so that the vaccine isn't being sent around the world. But I mean, right now, <laughs> there's a ton of like the reason this felt so climate oriented to me is because 
you do have people in power, such as with the media, such as with lawmakers and people who have influence yeah, who, who aren't who doing are anything right, right now. And that's that's the more damaging and, and disheartening and like frightening thing is that they have all the science right there. They have all the experts telling them what needs done. They have all the timelines literally breaking down like, oh, if we don't do this in X amount of months, like this will happen. And yet nothing is being done because it doesn't fit into their four o'clock yeah, news their segment. Agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's well, what's like frustrating. And and that's why watching something like this was sort of therapeutic, but also pretty scarring because it's like, oh, at least like I'm not alone in feeling crazy that um nothing is being done right now. And like at least someone's calling them out in a big way, even if it is just a silly Netflix movie that people will forget about in two months. But I well, liked I also, that the the like heart that was put into it. I think it's interesting that you like this movie so much. Not because I disliked it. I thought yeah. it was good. But I think in general, one of the criticisms was, who is this for? Because yeah. if you're a sort of bleeding heart liberal, I think most of the things in this movie, like, yes, you're going to agree with and understand. But it's sort of a lot of things that you're thinking okay I already know this like like this movie is not necessarily teaching me anything or making me look at the way that I look at global warming or the pandemic any differently it's just reinforcing stuff that I already know but then also this movie is so satirical and I think heavy-handed to a certain extent that if you were watching it and you were a you know conservative well one I don't know if a if a conservative person would watch this like eat to begin with but then if they did would they like would is anyone's opinion on global warming changed because of this movie (laughs) i guess is sort of the question because obviously that's why it's made but then you're looking at it and sort of going huh like is like who is watching this and having their actual opinions changed or is this just sort of like a preach to the choir kind of a moment where all of us can kind of watch it and then I don't know, not feel good about ourselves afterwards, but sort of be like, well, like this is shitty and all of these people are screwing this over for us. And like, we got to, I guess, keep going. But like these other people are not doing what they're supposed to. Yeah. I mean, I I can see that. I I feel like though, there's a lot of people who are self-proclaimed liberals, but we become like one issue voters or we're like fiscally conservative, but socially, it's like, there's a lot of people who think they're one thing, but actually are pretty close-minded about a very <laughs> specific thing. And I think climate climate change is one of those things because it's like, oh, well, yeah, I know it's real, but like someone else is taking care of it. And it's like, well, actually, yes, there are people working very hard to like show what needs done, but that still means that we need, you know, our actual lawmakers and policy people to to put the money where it needs to go and like to actually sign these things into law. And, and I feel like that's why I'm like, I'm okay with this movie because I think it does call out. It's not just, it's not just poking fun of dumb hicks or whatever. It's not like trying to paint the only climate deniers as ignorant, uneducated, small town folk or uber conservative, uber wealthy, uber concerned with their own you know concerns it it seems to be pointing fingers at a lot more people than you usually get in these situations 
And again, pointing out that every disaster flick, whether it's uh, the one you love or the one you hate, like it starts with a <laughs> government official ignoring a scientist. And I think that deserves to be called out over and over and over again in the hopes that I don't know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm really tired of feeling like, like this is an issue I talk about a lot and yet no one feels like, I feel like I, I don't change anyone's mind about it because it feels like, oh, that's just alarmism. Like it'll all work out. Like, oh, I don't know. That doesn't affect me. So I don't think about it. But it's like, even just in the last month, you see the fires in Boulder, Colorado, like everything is getting a little bit more serious and uh, happening a little bit more quickly. And there's a lot of news out there that does feel pretty alarming, but it's like, if we, the people don't care about it, then like what motivation is there to hold Biden or Trump or whoever it is accountable to kind of save the day? And, um, and so I liked that this movie was trying to just find support anywhere and it was failing to do so with anyone, like regardless of party or, I don't know, liberal skewed ideologies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, did it change minds? I don't know. I I don't know. I think I liked it ultimately just because it was it did feel cathartic to have to have someone else. Well, to realize, yeah, that somebody <laughs> else is like screaming into the void with yeah. you, or there's a lot of people who are doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that another hard thing with the climate crisis is is you hear on one hand, you know, like oh, everything is going bad, but then at the same time, I feel like I always hear these. Um, you know, statements that are like, well, like what you do individually doesn't really help anything. It's yeah, like it's the government horrific. and these corporations. And so then you're sort of like, okay, well, I'm <laughs> like, I'm, I'm voting for the people who are supposedly uh, going to yeah. be good at this. It's like how, like how much, um, yeah, like how much can you do it? But I yeah, guess then horrible. that leaves you at the point where are you going to be a uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, or are you going to be a Jennifer Lawrence? And it's like and neither, neither of them save the world, anyway. <laughs> nope, nope. But so. a lot of people did go to a sex party on a rooftop in New York, so yeah. they at least got that out of the deal. Yeah, I mean, it's a frustrating topic to be sure, and it does. It's easy to feel really powerless, and I think that that's another thing this movie highlighted is like you know, these people thought it'd be the easiest thing in the world. Like they get in front of the president, boom, job done, it's saved. And instead they spend the next six months, like just being like, what is happening? Like, why is this so hard to believe when it's literally laid out like right there for you? And so, yeah, I think that's it. I don't know if I could watch it again. Um, but I also think it's one I would easily revisit when I was feeling frustrated. (laughs) I think it will be interesting to see how this does with the Oscars coming up. Um, oh, because I don't think it'll get anything. Do well, you? I don't know. Because both The Big Short and um, Vice did very, very well at the Oscars. And this has a very big Oscar-y cast. Um, but I it think, is a you Netflix know, like, movie. Yes, but Netflix has done well in categories prior like do i think this is going to win best picture no but i think it could be nominated for a bunch of things especially if it continues to do well and have such good numbers uh, as far as like viewership goes right um you know in a year where i think a lot of movies that are up did 
either faltered in the box office or have not been watched very widely. This, I think, is a movie that a lot of people saw. It's like, how many people saw, like, West Side Story got terrible numbers. How many people are watching, like, The the Lost Daughter or The Power of the Dog or Belfast? (laughs) Like, these are movies that not a ton of people have seen. And, like, King Richard underperformed at the box office. I mean, really, it's just, like, this and Dune, I think, that have been... (laughs) And, and maybe tick tick boom that <laughs> have been like uh you know well received so yeah we shall see but anyways this episode is getting long <laughs> perhaps oh. mostly because we had to spend 10 minutes chronic chronicling my covid journey yes, in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a journey uh, all the it way through was new york a yeah. journey. yes mm-hmm. yeah every a lot of people got it along the way yeah <laughs> Well, um, I would say watch it if you haven't. Uh, it seems like a now. It's a good time to talk about it with yes, friends, family, definitely. whoever. It's um, it's very good movie to talk about. Yeah, it's watchable. It's I honestly I thought it was really funny. I laughed out loud a lot, and um, until the end, and then I was sobbing. But I had to excuse myself to go cry in the bathroom. But oh, it was I thought good. the ending was hysterical. I well, thought that I guess was, the like, very honestly ending, one of the yeah. funniest parts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there were a few mid and post credit scenes that actually paid off in big ways but yeah i don't know what we're talking about next but hopefully we'll get a pcr out there um i uh i was gonna say no i think two weeks we have uh scream coming out but um (laughs) next week i don't know what's happening what the people want of course well how could i forget um perfect so we have that to look forward to but you can always find us on social media we're at psu wrong on instagram and twitter um you can send us an email at psurong at gmail.com and we also have a patreon uh which we appreciate all who subscribe to it helps keep this running uh keeps our gear fresh and our (laughs) our attitudes motivated um you can find us at patreon.com backslash swift uh ps you're wrong and um yeah i guess we will figure out what to do next week and hopefully it's a little less depressing but um who knows well it can't be more depressing honestly so (laughs) even if we watch the lost daughter i think it's less depressing um but yes we will see you guys next week have a lovely weekend and we'll see you then bye